The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. And welcome to Autism Live and to Ask Dr. Doreen. We have Dr. Doreen Grandpichet here with us in the studio. Thank Good you morning. for being here. I'm so Thank thrilled you. that you're here and that we have it's an opportunity pleasure. to meet. Well, I want to remind everybody, and especially those people who are new to the show, that Dr. Grampichet is a true expert in the field of autism. She's been working in this field for 39 and three quarters of a year. Is that what it, this is the 40th year. Wow. Yeah. I mean, just amazing. And during that time, she's worked with individuals all over the spectrum of all ages and abilities and met a fair amount of autism parents. I would argue that you've met more autism parents than probably anybody else on the planet. I'm trying to catch up to yeah, you, no. but I don't think that I, I don't think I can get there. I don't think I have enough time left a to catch up. Parents, yeah. A lot of parents. And, and I just want to take a moment to say that one of the things, one of the many things that I appreciate about Dr. Grampichet is her ability to pr perspective take and that she sees things from everybody's point of view and that's so helpful to us in the autism community that she looks at it from the point of view of the person who's on the spectrum in a very caring and specific way and sees all of those individuals as individuals and as a whole person thank you so often we meet people who go well you know it's a diagnosis and they miss the person and you really don't but also she sees it from the perspective of the parents and what that is like more than any other person I have met, Thank you, you are so caring about taking care of the parents and their journey, yeah, uh, because this is a journey. And then I can tell you that she also is looking at it from the perspective of the people who are trying to help. Yeah. Um, you know, the therapists and the, the people who design the programs and the teachers and it's a really impressive thing that Thank you, you do. Thank you very much. Well, I, well, I try. I mean, I, 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 I'm very passionate about the parents because that is the thing that kind of caught me at first and really got me into this field. And um, so, and I still remain very passionate about the journey the parents go through. And I think our role as clinicians is to try to make that journey as easy as possible, which therefore makes me very passionate about the quality of therapy. Yeah. But I, but I have to say that, you know, when we use the word easy, it's a tricky word, right? Because I want to say to parents, you know, as a parent, there's nothing easy about this. No. Because <laughs> I got a tear. Not at all. There is nothing easy about Not this. Not at all. And I think that on the one hand, you know, I, I see where you guys try to make it easier for us, but part of having our kids make progress is going to be difficult. It's at no question about it. Yeah, because we got to let go journey. of this idea that I think a lot of us think, oh, we want to show up and you're going to have a magic pill and I don't have to have any emotions about it and my child will have oh, no, no emotions about it and it will be easy peasy. That's, that's not how it works. No, it isn't how it works. It is very emotionally uh, draining because all of us, I think, naturally, um, we are, uh, our nature is to kind of protect and take care and, and spoil and watch over and spoil and, you know, that's Are you what looking we do. at me while you're saying this? No, I'm, I'm projecting, <laughs> let me tell you. I'm projecting. No, I own that. Um, uh, but I mean, that's how we are, right? Yeah. We're like, uh, and 
most of us are that way and it becomes very very hard because ABA is all about uh, modifying the child's behavior by rewarding things that are good and not rewarding things that we don't want and that's what's very hard yeah. um, so you know something as simple as uh, the first premise of ABA I guess and very very simple to tell a parent is don't give in don't give the child anything he asks for if he's tantruming yeah. let's say that's just an example right yeah don't give anything that if, that the child requests if they're crying or tantruming when they request it and that is a sounds like a really easy thing to do but it's a very emotionally draining thing to do for us as parents so I get it it's a very hard thing and even more than the emotional aspect of it Shannon it's also just a lot of hard work oh my gosh you know getting therapists scheduled and having them come in and out and working yourself with the child and just always it's like you can't rest for uh, that entire period of time until your child is is as functional as possible and doing great you know and it's a lot of work it's hard it's the, there's no two ways about it I, I always say I'm gonna be honest with you I'm not gonna candy coat it sugarcoat it it's hard it's worth it definitely like, that's worth the it. thing it's worth it but I but I don't want to make it sound yeah. like it's easy yeah. but I, but since we were talking about giving in I want to uh, go to a question on on page two. Okay. Uh, it says, good morning. Our therapist suggested using planned ignoring. Mm -hmm. Can I say, too, I forgot to give the disclaimer that no expert, even an expert of Dr. Grampuche's caliber, cannot give individual specific advice. So what we're going to do, I'm going to read her questions that have come from you guys, and she's going to give us information, which then you take to help you to make decisions about what to do. But it would be a disservice to any person on the spectrum if we made it sound as if she could give individual specific Absolutely. advice in this format so there's the disclaimer so good morning our therapist suggested using planned ignoring for our son's attention seeking disruption which is banging on walls and tables we have but now we see he's, he's doing, doing it way more than he usually does and my husband can't ignore it after about the seventh bang, he intervenes and tells him to stop and sends him to his room. I'm scared. We just made it worse. Please help. It's hard, right? Yeah, it's very hard. And I'm going to tell you what just happened. So what just happened is called, that actually has a name, it's called an extinction burst. So an extinction burst is a behavior that increases uh, when you start ignoring a behavior, it will increase before it extinguishes, before it completely goes away. And the reason for it is very simple. If you think about, again, this is the task of putting yourself in the child's position, right? And thinking like the child. So from the child's perspective, they have been getting your attention when they're banging on the wall or table and perhaps they get your attention it's negative attention but it's attention nevertheless perhaps up till now they've, they've been getting your attention after two or three attempts so it's now you're ignoring the child and in the child's head is this dialogue of wait a minute why aren't they paying attention why aren't they reacting i'm gonna hit longer i'm gonna hit harder um, it's the same thing as when a child screams and you ignore them. Before they stop screaming, they'll scream as loud as they can because their assumption is you're not hearing them. And it's the same thing here. They're, the child's assumption is, well, what's going on? They're not giving me my usual attention, so I need to increase it. And so temporarily it just got worse because what's happened is that the child now has a new baseline so now the child knows that you might not react after three bangs but you will react after seven so it's okay it's a temporary setback and what you need to do is just go back to what you were doing but this time don't give in if your husband has a really hard time I ask that he just gets up and leaves uh, the best thing to do is, and even if you're at a restaurant or wherever you are, like he could just take a walk and by the time he comes back it'll be over. Uh, it, it will get worse before it gets better. That's called an extinction burst and that's a natural part of ignoring someone's behavior. 
So just know that and continue doing it because you were doing it right. And, uh, you know, it might go up to 10 bangs or 20. It doesn't matter. You just need to ignore it. You need to win by ignoring it. I want to tell you two things that I tell parents from my experience. The story that I always tell about when I understood Extinction Burst, mm -hmm. because we think of it as just being the children. Oh, it's this strange, odd thing that just children do, no, uh, apparently. We do it, too. Everybody does. And my perfect example is, for some reason, I don't... I don't know why, but the bathroom in our master bathroom, the light does not, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And we moved into this house and, you know, usually it works. So you go over and you turn the light switch on and light comes on, woohoo, right? We don't even think about it. It's just like a part of our lives that we do that. But then um, it blew out at one point and ever since then it's been tricky. But, but I came into the bathroom, you know, and I'm an adult and I, you know, I understand how light switches work. I turned on the light switch and the light did not come on. So I didn't just walk away and go, I guess it's not gonna work. I stood there for a solid like three minutes flicking the light switch on and off. <laughs> Convinced that I was gonna get my result. Mm -hmm. And I went, look at that, that's an extinction burst right there. Cause I'm used to flicking the light, mm -hmm. light comes on, it didn't do it. So instead of walking away, I stood there and flicked it, I mean like good solid three minutes, mm -hmm. had myself a little extinction burst. And then I gave up and left and, yeah. and went away. So just know that you and I do that all the time. We do things like that, that's just one example. But one of the things that I learned a long time ago from great therapists is that when we have anxiety about things, that we can have a replacement behavior too. Oh, of course. That if we have something else to think or do, it's easier to do the things that we have to do. Mm -hmm. So what I was taught by great therapists is when my son is doing something that is not what I wanna see and I'm supposed to do planned ignoring, whether it's an extinction burst or, or something else, that I have to have something internal that's happening that's reinforcing to me so that I don't speak about it. Very good. And so what they taught me was, especially during an extinction burst, to stand there and take like data on it mm -hmm. to say, okay, so, cause I'm gonna have to tell the team later on. So what's he doing? Oh, he's spitting. Oh, now he's throwing something. Oh, it's two minutes in and he just threw something. So I've got an activity to do. But when it gets really heightened to say to myself, oh, an extinction burst means mm -hmm. it's working. That's right, 100%. Which means that this might be the last time he does this if I just hang out, take data, and not react. This might be the last time. That's a really good tactic. And yeah. that gives me something to do instead of, because we see I am, I like to verbally vomit. Absolutely, and the extinction bursts are the toughest thing. I mean, oh my gosh, I remember when my third child, I was like, this is what you experience when you uh, ignore a child uh, crying at night when you're trying to teach them to sleep yeah. and they will have an extinction burst because they're screaming as loud as they possibly can because they want you to do the same thing you did before and you're not anymore so I, you know it's it's very very tough for a parent to sit through an extinction burst of oh. a child screaming hitting their head and all that sort of stuff and these are very good tactics and it is absolutely true that the extinction burst is a sign that things are improving and that you're going it is coming to an end let's put it that way uh, another way to look at it is that you don't want to fall victim to an extinction burst you know we there are whole businesses that are gambling the entire field of gambling is built on the premise that we will all have extinction bursts during because you don't always win right, right. so you keep trying to win and that, you know, the, so you don't want to be the person that gives in. You just want to be the person that wins this process. And what you have to do, yeah, like Shannon said, keep yourself busy. Keep your mind busy. Count. Don't be embarrassed. Analyze the fact that part of the reason we give in, it's not that, I mean, it, it's, on, on, I can understand that also uh, banging head on wall, or it's not even banging head, it's banging on walls and tables. So it's probably just an embarrassment factor. I'm guessing that it happens in public and it's sort of like, you know, what do I do with this and so on. And I think you just need to realize that it doesn't matter. Like, let count it, count, let, let it go up to 20, let it go up to 30. You can handle 30 bangs, it's no big deal. Start with that and then seven will seem like nothing.
You know what I mean? And just ask yourself, how many bangs can I actually handle? Yeah. We've got uh, parents writing in on Facebook. Uh, Raina has written in and said, I'm working really hard on controlling my anger and being patient. Being an autism mom of two on the spectrum is life-changing and draining me out. How do you keep yourself sane with no respite and no family around? And Buena has written in and said, Raina, I'm right there with you. I have a very energetically loud six-year-old on the spectrum. He seeks sensory, stomping his feet, pulling my hair. And a new thing he's picked up is he tries to touch between my thighs. Mm -hmm. Why? Yeah. So you guys, uh, I'll, I'll go to the first thing. There's two things I want to say, which is really important. First of all, I mean, let's start with just the answer to the, the last question. He, the things that he's doing are probably because that's how he gets your reaction. And he's figured out that that's how he will get a reaction. And, and a lot of times our kids are just trying to get attention. They're just trying to get a reaction. It's entertaining. It's, you know, that's what typically kids will do. They want to get attention. So uh, you have to block those types of behaviors and walk away. A lot of times it's hard to walk away because obviously we're afraid of what the child might do and all that sort of stuff. Which brings me to the bigger issue is that this is not something simple. I'm a behaviorist and I'm a licensed psychologist and I've been doing this longer than anyone as Shannon said. I've been doing working with individuals on the spectrum for over 40 years. It is not something I would do alone. You need, this is where you really need a village. This is that case. You need to help and you need support from other people. Even if it's just something as very simple as when you're sitting and waiting and the child is banging their head or, or crying or whatever it is and being able to tolerate that, talking to another person during that time is so incredibly helpful to be able to just say, oh yeah, you know, so like, what did you do today? Like literally, it is not only good for the child to see that you're doing something else and they're not gonna get your attention, but it's mentally helpful to you to be able to have someone else's support during those times. But in general, like people don't realize, this is why I get very, very passionate about our parents and parenting through this process. In general, parents are not getting any sleep. You know, I mean, you're just like running on two, three hours of sleep because the kids are awake and nobody realizes that. It's not, it's, it's not something that any one person can handle. So please don't try to fight that battle. It's not a winning battle. You need to have a few people who can assist you, help you so that you can sleep, uh, so that you can take time off from it, so that you can not be angry uh, so that when you are with your child, you have a, certain, a heightened level of patience because all of that is necessary. Otherwise, honestly, it's not, you can't survive. So before you do anything else, just try to get some help. And that can come in the way of family members who are willing to just uh, tolerate for an hour or two hours so you can take a bath or relax or rest. Uh, neighbors. Uh, you know, we've had, I have a lot of stories about families who are very successful because they have the entire neighborhood pitch in and try to help make it, you know, so you try to get some friends involved, try to get people involved who could just give you a little bit of support because that's really what you need is just a little bit of support. I can't, I don't know how you would possibly be kind of making your way through it alone. Yeah. And we're, we're getting ready uh, in March to do a big show about IHSS uh, because we've had a lot of questions on the show about it. We're bringing an expert in to talk about that. Um, but that's in-home uh, uh, in health support services. And aside from if you have insurance for ABA, aside from if you're in a state like California where there's regional center and you can get respite through that, if you're in the United States, my understanding, and again, we're going to have an expert in to talk about it, is that you can, if you, there are certain criteria, but if you've got a child with autism and, you know, you've got some issues, and clearly almost everybody does, mm -hmm. um, you should qualify for services and you can get respite through there. Um, you can choose the provider, so you don't have to just get a stranger, because a lot Absolutely. of people have concern about that. Um, and there are 
additional tag-on services that can be really helpful, such as being able to pay for someone, you or someone else, to take the child to medical appointments, mm -hmm. which includes ABA therapy, because if you're taking them, it's time away from work or it's wear and tear on your car. So uh, you can get paid to take your child, or if you can't do it because you're at work, they can pay somebody else to do it. So I, I just, if you're in the United States, there are services, it takes a while to track things down, but that's just one thing that you can look at for respite. Um, if you're not in the United States, either of the two ladies who just wrote, please write in and tell us what country you're in, and I'll do some research and figure out if there is another way. We have seen parents be so creative. I don't know how when they're underslept. Right. We have seen them, uh, one parent that I can think of that got her church to help out, a parent who, who was in a college town and got a local sorority to each sorority and fraternity has to have a sure. project in the community. So a sorority adopted her child as their project and they provided respite and even some of them got trained to be able to do ABA with the child. Amazing. Um, I know somebody else who is, was able to do it with the Knights of Columbus in yeah, their community. Yeah. I mean, it. I get chills thinking about all the possibilities. You might be too tired to see it, but write in to me and let me see if I can find some resources in your community. I can't promise that I can, but let me look while you're sleeping. Absolutely. Um, so, and you can write in to me at s.penrod at autism-live.com. That's true for anybody. We need to take a short break, and then we are going to be back with more Ask Dr. Doreen after these messages. Stick with us. Welcome back to Autism Live and to Ask Dr. Doreen. I just had an emotional moment because I saw that we had uh, somebody write in who's one of my favorite people. Um, Karen on Facebook said, hey, it's Karen from Oswego and in a good place. Want other parents to know that there are good places in life when facing autism. It's not all bad. It's, it's tough. It's work, but there are good points. I don't know if you remember, but a million years ago when I had a radio show called Everyday Autism Miracles, mm -hmm. and the first ever episode, I, I, you know, I was so nervous and paced and paced and paced because who was my first guest going to be? Uh, Dr. Doreen Grampiche, right? Because oh, how am I going to start so a radio fun. show and not have her on the first ever show, right? And But my, my whole thing, you know, I, my, uh, one of the things that I like to do when facing something that makes me nervous, I think, what's the best case scenario? Scenario, and what's the worst case scenario? Because it's going to be somewhere in between, right? <laughs> it's not going to be the worst. It's not, you know, and it's not going to be the best. It's going to be somewhere in between. And so I have Dr. Grampiche on on the call on this live radio show. We get a live caller in. It was mm. Karen from Oswego. Mm. And Karen wrote in and said, this is making me furious because you're making it sound like, you know, there are possibilities. And it was my worst nightmare yeah, was that yeah. somebody was going to call in and say, you know, you know, none of this, but it actually ended up being okay. It was not only okay. Karen and I have been friends for all this time. I yeah, went because I, I went I, I went to college in Oswego, and I went back and taught college in Oswego for three years. So I had occasion to go back to Oswego, met with Karen and their whole Os, the Oswego uh, Autism Alliance, and had a wonderful. I mean, we're like sisters in That's my mind. I, Karen's probably like, no, we're not. But in my <laughs> mind, Karen and I are sisters, and we've known That's each awesome. other all this time. And I know that Karen faces a lot of challenges, but I, I love that she's in a good place right now and sharing it with other people. And uh, Karen's like a touchstone for me. That awesome. you know, yes, I'm yes. literally there from the very beginning with both of us. Yes, yes. Because that's I the first time that. I ever spoke to you. I do remember that. I, it was funny because I was actually coming off of an interview that I was doing at Chapman University, ah. and I remember like quickly running to my car and <laughs> doing the interview with you in my car. I fully remember that. Wow. Yes. Well, and now we're all connected because uh, our fabulous Samantha is a Chapman graduate. Yeah, so, uh, that's so there sweet. we go. Uh, okay. And then we have a couple more people writing in on Facebook. Uh, my son is almost three and has a hard time sitting down in a chair. How can I get him to sit? And then we have another question about a grandson who licks everything. So, okay. should we deal with the chair first? Sure. Okay. But uh, can we also just to address what Karen had written? Yes. In? Like, we absolutely don't want people to think that there are no positives in this. There are no question there's, you know, I, what I always tell parents, 
uh, is that having a child with autism is the only is one of those rare opportunities that's that slows life down and lets you appreciate every milestone and every accomplishment. Uh, most of the time, and I, you know, I've tried very much, I'm a very, very engaged and active mom in the life of my own children. But uh, having said that, still, you, I look back and I'm like, oh dear Lord, how is my youngest just about to finish high school, you know? Yeah. And how did that even happen? And so uh, it is, life is very, very fast. And I think with our kids on the spectrum, we really do learn we, because it takes a little bit harder work and a little bit more effort to to make things happen we really do appreciate every little thing i know That's that true. because a lot of the moms come and tell me like this was the first christmas he joined us or this was the first time he said i love you or this is the first time he's actually able to tell me what's going on in school or make a wish or tell me when he's in pain or you know like little things that we take for granted or he told a lie or he told a lie and we, and we right? do the happy dance when they, they tell the first lie right and our neurotypical our friends with neurotypical kids look at us like what are you doing i'm yeah. like i'm celebrating that yeah, exactly <laughs> so you know there's a lot of good stuff to be said about yeah. this experience and also the other side of it is just the people, the human beings that our kids are. Like, I really want to talk about that for a minute. I, uh, I get, I go to when I go to a center. I was at a center last night, um, and I just love our kids. They are the best of the best. Like, I cannot even express how wonderful they are because. They don't have a lot of the stuff in, in typically developing kids that, uh, you know, I don't want to label it good or bad, but like not having certain characteristics allows you to be very genuine. So for instance, our kids don't really get embarrassed by certain things. So like a typical child of let's say age six or seven, would be very shy perhaps talking to strangers or people they don't know very well. Our kids, on the other hand, are kind of like, hi, who are you? What's your name? I'm so, you know, and they're just so like, just raw awesomeness. Like yeah. they're just so pure love and and just connection and humanity. And I don't know how to explain it. There's, there's nothing, they don't hide anything, you know, and it's beautiful. And it is more beautiful even as they age because even our children who like finish everything and they're like out there on their own and so on, some of the stuff they never learn, Shannon, is being bad. Yeah, being mean. Being mean, being uh, hurtful, uh, wanting bad stuff for others, being jealous. Like a lot of our kids are just sweet, sweet, lovely, lovely human beings, you know, because they never learn the other stuff. They never, there's no reason, there's no, there's no reason. You know, they, they're not in competition with other kids in some ways. So they just always maintain that certain level of purity and, and beauty in them. Yeah. So those are the amazing things. And then there's also the other side, which is like, they have an incredible uh, way of seeing the world, which is actually, I always like to say, getting more and more, uh, I guess it's merging with where we are in the world now. So in other words, some of our kids, they don't see life through all different angles that we do. They see it in a much more narrow angle in one way or another. And sometimes that narrow angle happens to be things that are happening much more like technology. A lot of our kids have incredible abilities in the area of technology or memory. A lot of our kids have an incredible visual memory or various things that are now like spreading and actually we, I feel, are learning to be more a part of their world and their lives and, and the two worlds are merging in some ways. So I feel like individuals who have a different way of thinking are the reason society moves forward to begin with. If we all thought the same, we'd never really accomplish anything new. Amen. So, you know, those are all of the amazing things about autism. And I want to be clear that I, I very much value those things as well. And it is hard when they're little and they're learning to fit into society. 
but you know to some extent we want them to fit in and to some extent we want them to have their unique differences as yeah, well absolutely and look there are people who are going to get it and there are people who are not going to get it and and i think that's been one of the hardest things for me as a mom on this journey is that i had an expectation that all of the people who loved me and cared about me were going to be people who welcomed people of different abilities into their lives and it's always disappointing when you have the moment when you see somebody who doesn't right right um and it happens but you know first of all i i have seen people change yes. i have seen people get it um because when somebody that they care about then has that then they automatically get it absolutely um and it's painful for them but they get it in that moment but also to realize that you know I get to choose who I want to spend time with. Absolutely. And, and the friends that I have made on this journey of people who get it, people like Karen who get it, I mean, like I wouldn't trade that for anything under the sun. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And to be in the company of a group of people, I truly, I, I, I remember when Eustacia Cutler, who's Temple Grandin's mother, said to me, she said, one of the gifts of being an autism mom is that you find a tribe. Mm -hmm. And that we all need that in life. And I went, that's it. I found my tribe. That's so And true. we are so different. And we may not even so agree true. on everything. But it doesn't matter. If Karen said to me, I have to go into this knife fight, I would be like, Karen, I got your back. Yeah. I'd be there with you. Yeah. And there would be no <laughs> questions asked about it, right? right. <laughs> right? I'm just imagining. Right. Two. Knife fight. <laughs> right. Two. That, you know, at best, middle-aged moms, but, moms, you know, Karen, we, Karen, I got you, I got you, you six, Karen. If any, if there's any moms in the world who would actually do a knife fight, it would be autism moms, let me right? tell you, for Well, sure. we say that because we think, you know, a lot of things oh, no in question. our minds no loom as, as knife fights, but... Um, so funny. Yeah. Sorry. So we, now we can go back. We to had our first uh, little uh, gif that we did last week, which was me taking off my earrings to, to yell about this doctor. Oh, okay. Uh, and it said, you know, when a mom, autism mom gets mad, you know, we yeah, take off yeah. the earrings. So uh, it's a funny thing. I should I should have had a knife on the table, too, but that might have been, <laughs> that might have been perceived as being violent. And I'm not. Just take the earrings off. Okay, so my son is almost three and has a hard time sitting down in a chair. How can I get him to sit? Man, I remember those days. I remember right. looking at the videos of DTT and going, well, if I could get him to sit in the chair, people, how do you right. get him to sit in the chair? But they did. Yeah, so the, the, um, the concept is just really basic. It goes back to the idea of... Uh, reinforcement, right? Everything is, every behavior will occur if it has adequate reinforcement in place. So everything, like we, you know, there are people who climb mountains because it's reinforcing enough to them. It's not to me, but hey, <laughs> but realistically, we have our own reinforcers, right? For me, maybe a reinforcer would be, you know, if someone gave me a guarantee that uh, my children would be healthy uh, until the age of 100, I would climb Everest for that, you know, I would. So basically everybody has their own reinforcers. So you have to identify what your child's major reinforcers are and hopefully you can do something that is like, let's say, a short-term visual reinforcer. Like most of our kids enjoy either watching TV or a computer, right? That would be very, or an iPad or a game or something like that. So what you do is you just get a chair, you actually start with the child um, having to sit on the chair for, let's say, two seconds on a timer, um, and you just show this child, like, whatever it is, like, let's say, I don't know what the child's baseline is, I don't want to say two seconds because it's entirely possible the child's able to sit right now 10 seconds. So right. what is your child's baseline? What is the amount of time he or she can actually sit? Start there. So when the child sits down for that period of time, let's say 10 seconds, you then will give them a reinforcer. So let's say an iPad or something that they like. Do you give it while they're sitting or while after they're, they're sitting. done sitting? Okay. While they're sitting, because okay. you want to also condition the whole act of sitting to a positive thing, right? Okay. And then you just gradually increase it. Okay. So tomorrow you'll do 15 seconds and then give them a reinforcer. Then the next day you'll do 25 seconds. And you will gradually increase the duration of time. You will hit a point where the child is like, wait a minute, this is getting too long. And you just need to be very wary of that because 
sometimes we have expectations of our kids that are unrealistic. So what is an, an appropriate period of time? And I would look at other peers perhaps, and that's very helpful to identify what is an appropriate period of time for our children to sit. Now, now you have your child sitting at the end of which they are given an iPad for a period of time, okay? So let's say the period of time that they receive their reinforcer is, I don't know, 10 minutes, right? So in the beginning, you're starting out with a very high amount of reinforcer, low demand. This is always the case. Low demand, high reinforcer. And over the course of time, your job is to increase the demand and reduce the reinforcer. Why? Because reducing the reinforcer just gets you to what real life is like. And increasing the demand gets you to what real life is like. So your goal would be to increase the duration of time the child's sitting on the table, at the, at, on the chair, to what is expected of other peers, and then reduce the reinforcer to what is given to other peers. So for instance, if the child is in, let's say, class, and everybody has an expectation that they're gonna sit for 10 minutes at a time, well, guess what? The kids are getting natural reinforcers while they're sitting because they're listening to a story, let's say, or they're interacting with peers or whatever it is, it's social reinforcers. And our child is not getting that. So you need to put in place a reinforcer that works for your child, but then reduce it. So let's say if you're practicing this at home, which I suggest you do and you don't practice it at school, if you're doing it at home, you wanna to get to a point where realistically you can have your child sit for 10 minutes and then just get on an iPad for one minute. And that's your goal. You don't start there, that's where you end up. And then once you're at that point, you wanna vary your reinforcers, right? So occasionally the child, you won't every single time give an iPad, you'll give other reinforcers that are also uh, reinforcing for the child. You just have to have a list of them always available to you. In fact, anything you wanna teach, you should always have a list of things that are going to be effective reinforcers. If you don't have at least two or three things, you're not gonna be an effect, you're just not gonna be able to change behavior. Behavior change depends on reinforcers. And keep in mind, reinforcers are not always tangible objects. Sometimes they are activities. Sometimes they are the ability to stop doing something. So escape is a reinforcer. So that's a little too complicated. We won't get into that. But you know, if you want to watch video of this being done with a child, they Absolutely. do this with Jack Riley on the A Word. The A Word is a series that there's like 54 episodes. And if you go to our YouTube page, it's one of the playlists. And fairly early on, I want you know, I don't know which episode, it might be episode six, they are getting him before they're gonna do ABA seated with him, they get him first to come, come yeah. when they call him and then to sit down on the chair and they give him reinforcers for right. it. And your child is is almost three. I just wanna I just wanna tell you, get send you a hug that you know my son started ABA therapy right after his third birthday and the thought of being able to get him to sit in a chair I was like my goodness if that could ever happen yeah. like let's throw That's a party amazing. for a hundred people and I just want you to know it happened and we celebrated it and moved on to the three million other things that he eventually did so just know like a lot of things, it will happen, and, and, follow the steps. Right, and I apologize for interrupting you, Shannon, no. but I interpreted the question as wanting to extend the duration of time sitting, but realistically, if you just want the child to sit, you prompt the child, you simply put a child behind the, you put a seat behind the child, prompt the child to sit, immediately pop a reinforcer, which should probably initially be some sort of food reinforcer, because it's very short term and fast, like a tiny, tiny morsel of a cookie or something that you shall chip or whatever they like, and then you let them up. So it's a very, but extending the sitting period, you wanna have a timer that extends the duration of time. And something as simple as sitting does seem very, very hard, but it isn't really. It's yeah. number, it's the first, it's funny that you said that because back in the day we, we would teach sitting and standing before coming. Oh, yeah. really? Well, yes, at UCLA we would teach it in that order. And I don't think it really matters. You could go one way or another coming. You require, you need two people. 
Um, sitting and standing is a very easy thing. You just physically prompt it and reinforce the child. Um, but basically, don't think that these things are not possible. They're very easy to teach. Yeah. And yeah, as Shannon said, IBT has all of this stuff on Video Institute for Behavior Training. There you go. And then, of course, um, Skills has all of the instructional guidelines for whoever is working with yeah, your child. Yeah, if you need the curriculum, Skills for Autism, F-O-R-Autism.com. Phone number is 877-975-4559. Tell them Shannon sent you. You'll get a discount. Um, okay, I want to move on. Uh, another question that came in on Facebook, my grandson licks everything. Why does he do this, and how can I help him not to do it? He's five. And in kindergarten, he is diagnosed with autism and in general ed classes. Mm -hmm. So there could be a lot of different reasons for why he's licking objects. And I don't want to be just a behavior. As a behaviorist, I would say you need to uh, actually look and see uh, several different things. So take some data and then come back to us so we can help you with this. The data that you're looking for is when exactly does he do this? So what is happening before he licks? Uh, is he, and then what is happening right after he licks? And this is very important and I'll tell you why, because it could be that he is licking in order to get attention. It could be that he is licking in order to get out of a particular activity. It could be that he, um, like he licks and other kids laugh and then he thinks that's positive attention. I don't know. I just need to know what's happening around the behavior each time it happens. And it could be different things, but we have to find the common theme of what, you know, it could be happening inside the classroom, outside, whatever it is, but the same thing happens each time. And that's what I'm looking for is like what is happening before and after the licking. Now. That's the behaviorist perspective. The other perspective is sort of a medical perspective, and I would want you to talk to a physician and try to make sure, get a blood test, and make sure that he doesn't have any significant deficiencies. Um, I have had many children licking various things that actually fulfill a deficiency that they're experiencing. For instance, some children might lick walls because they have a calcium deficiency, or metal objects because they have low iron. You need to kind of check and make sure that he's not experiencing a deficiency. Now, third thing is sensory. Why don't, you, why don't we take a look and see if he's licking a particular texture? Because it is also possible that he might be craving a texture on his tongue. So these are the types of things you want to gather some data on and then come back and we can talk about what to do in each case because it's going to be different each for each um, situation. And since she mentioned he's in kindergarten, she can also be asking school to take some data on it as well. 100%. If you do that, ask them to have take an FBA on the licking, Absolutely. functional behavior assessment, and then they'll and come back to you with that and come back to us once you have that information. Uh, okay, I think we should take a short, short break, and then we're going to be back with more of your questions that you guys are writing in on. Uh, we've got Facebook and YouTube coming in, so thank you very much. Stick with us. Welcome back. Just want to say that Karen wrote in and said that one of the best things she ever invested in was a visual timer, and, and we love visual timers. It makes a great deal of sense, and so thank you for that, Karen. Uh, I want to pivot now uh, on Facebook. Uh, we have a question. Hi, my daughter has ASD. She's four years old. We've been doing ABA. We're doing 30 hours a week. Good for you. She's middle functioning. She's nonverbal. Her progress is slow. We're using Prolo code quote to go. But my question is, how far will she go? Mm -hmm. Isn't that the question that we all have, right? I think she can't go to normal school. Uh, will she be going to special education? Please help me. Kids coming out of special education school, uh, I'm not sure what that means, but she says, I'm worried for her future. How old is the child? Four. And she's nonverbal. And, but did, and did the mom say anything about how much intervention she's already had? Well, she's doing 30 hours of ABA a week now, now but okay. we don't know what happened before. So if you're, I know you're on Facebook, so if you're still watching, write into us as quick as you can because we're getting to the end of the segment. Right. Um, and don't, so don't equate being nonverbal with not having intelligence. That's actually very important because sometimes our kids are nonverbal 
And they have other issues going on as well, for instance, sensory input issues and dysregulation and so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, don't let, I, I don't want to, I have had some children who are able to communicate very in very advanced forms non-verbally oh, yeah. so uh, you know sometimes our kids are, have a very hard time vocalizing things but nevertheless they're very intelligent and they can do really really well going forward so it's really a matter of is she getting quality therapy how how um, how long has she been getting therapy how, what kind of progress do you see um, what other issues there are. It's a very difficult question for me to answer without knowing your child. Um, as Shannon said, it is like probably the most common question I get asked. And really, before I answer it validly, I have the child go through hours and hours of assessments so that I can actually see how they're functioning, what are the things. And I, <clears throat> I would recommend that, <clears throat> excuse me, I would recommend some assessment. Uh, if your child's four or almost four she said four four yeah so uh your school district usually does some assessments every three years i don't know if you're getting any kind of services from your school district but insurance will cover assessments as well you will you need to do some assessments evaluation to identify kind of where your child is and what their needs are so that's where i would start because outside of that everybody can just give you an opinion and that's not going to be good enough yeah. I, I just want to point out that uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about Clark, Carly Fleischman in the next hour, and she is a nonverbal young woman, and I would encourage you to look at some of the things that she's been able to do because it will inspire you like the top of your head's going to come off That's when right. you see what Carly's been able to do. And and also to remember that, um, you know, the nonverbal thing has changed so much mm -hmm. in the last few years. It used to be I, I had a parent write into me and say that only 20% uh, when, when her child was diagnosed with autism, only 20% of kids ended up being verbal. And that is completely flipped the other way now. That it's, they're saying it's 80% now of individuals with autism will be able to communicate verbally. I've never heard that statistic of 20%. Like to me, nonverbal, and remaining nonverbal is at most 20%. Right. Like really, well, that's, I've never that's seen where it. we are now. So uh, just know that there's a whole lot of hope. Absolutely. And, and I know one of the questions that I hear asked a lot when, when somebody says that a child is nonverbal is they say, are there sounds? Mm -hmm. Are they able to make sounds? Are they making approximations? Are there words? Mm -hmm. And that, th and that, that can be matter. built upon. And it doesn't even matter because to me, sign language is communication. Absolutely. Uh, AUG device is communication. You know, So there's a lot of other ways of communicating. And I think it's really important to note that, especially today. Yeah, I mean, especially with technology, so exactly. and we're going to have uh, a technology in the next hour that's talking exactly about this kind of thing. So I just I, I want to say to you that I remember saying to people, "How far are we going to get?" and and wanting and needing to know that. I think that's typical and normal for every parent to do that. But also, don't limit yourself to whatever you hear back, Definitely. because any we have seen it time and time again that anything is possible. Um, that it really depends on the individual and and the amount of support that they're given that you know anything could happen so don't limit yourself to that really quickly because we're just about out of time Liz has written in and said on YouTube my seven and a half year old and uh, and his repetitive jumping behaviors have gotten worse it was okay with me since it wasn't a bother but now he will stop eating or activities to jump, even spills things by accident. So, I, you know, there are certain behaviors where you just simply need to block them and replace them. So, uh, assuming, and we haven't done an FBA, so we're not quite sure what the function of the behavior is, that would be very important. You'd want to find out why he likes to jump. Um, it might be a physical experience or it might be a visual experience, whatever, or it might just be avoidance of some other activity. Like you really need to have someone come in and identify the function of this jumping behavior. And so assuming that it's like, let's say, avoidance of another behavior, you need to make sure that he doesn't 
get to jump until the other activity is completed so that he doesn't get to avoid the other activities. That's really important. If it's a visual uh, type of self-stimulator, you know, like uh, sensation that he's receiving, then you can allow the jumping as a reward for some other thing. And you get it under control that way and you limit it to certain time frames when jumping. I mean, a lot of kids like jumping, uh, but they do it when it's appropriate, like on a trampoline or so on. But let's start by getting an FBA, like figuring out what the function is. Now, if you have uh, access to a uh, behavior analyst, they could do that. If you don't have access to a behavior analyst, one good way to do this is to go on skills and go in the portion that says CIFA, which stands for CARS Indirect Functional Assessment. And when you go in there, you can answer a bunch of questions about this jumping behavior, and then it'll offer you some suggestions of functions that could be related to it. And then you'll hopefully recognize which function. And then the CIFA actually tells you, it connects to what's called a Behavior Intervention Plan Builder, and it'll give you suggestions on how to treat the behavior. Every behavior is different. So honestly, if, if he's jumping for sensory input versus jumping to avoid another activity, you're gonna have completely different interventions to deal with the same behavior, which is jumping. That's why it's really important to know what the function is. And, we, and just in the time that you were answering that, Jordan wrote in on YouTube and said, what do I do if my daughter keeps biting people in class and chewing on, uh, on her clothes? She's in eighth grade. And a lot of what you just said, although jumping and biting are vastly different things and there are different consequences for them and there are different considerations, especially at school, it's still looking at what the function of the behavior is. Absolutely. And they can do that on, on skills, as you were just saying. Definitely. And those are two separate behaviors, so biting people and chewing on her clothes, but they are both related to oral motor, and I'm guessing that she has some oral motor issues going on. It's possible also, like you, with a child like that, I would be definitely increasing some um, oral motor activity at home, like for instance, using a vibrating toothbrush inside her mouth, things that are gonna stimulate the muscles inside, which will then help her need to do that outside re uh, decrease. But then I would absolutely be looking at what happens when she does that. It's very possible she gets a ton of attention, good or bad attention, doesn't matter. It's very possible that she's like getting access to objects that she wants by biting people who don't give it to her. So, you know, you really need to start with doing the functional assessment to figure out what each of those behaviors are accomplishing for the child because that, that's the main, the key to behavior analysis. And especially because that's at school, the behavior is happening at school, in writing, ask them to get the BCBA, Board Certified Behavior Analyst, that the school has on staff, because they probably do, to do a functional behavior assessment, right. an FBA. So you can say, get the BCBA to do an FBA on the behavior. They'll go, ooh, they know what they're talking about. Because if you don't, they're going to move her placement and say that she's a danger to the other students. And That's then right. you're going to be in right. a world of hurt. So. Um, get make them get you the function of the behavior make them get the behavior intervention plan get it all in writing so they can't say oh we didn't know I, I would I would jump all over that